This is an ABC podcast. Lock the doors. We would expect to see some rather concerning numbers for a while. I will continue to stand up for these regions that I know and love. We know how important it is for the parliament to meet. Isolation, testing. Being bored is much better than being in intensive care. Hello and welcome to The Party Room. I'm Patricia Carvellis, the host of RN Drive and Afternoon Briefing. And I'm Fran Kelly from RN Breakfast. And PK, this week... The government planned on spruiking the arrival of the vaccine on our shores. The eagle has landed, declared the health minister. This was the moment to start spreading hope through the country. But instead of that sort of positive message of hope and accomplishment, the Prime Minister found himself caught up in a very dark and sordid saga when a young former Liberal staffer alleged she was raped in a minister's office two years ago and had subsequently quit the government because of the treatment she says she received at the hands of two of the most senior Liberal ministers and their officers and also staff in the Prime Minister's office. This is the story that's been dominating the last few days of of Parliament. Laura Tingle, the Chief Political Correspondent on 7.30, will join us soon to discuss the Brittany Higgins allegations and what it means for the Liberal Party and for the Parliament. PK, this is a very uncomfortable position the Prime Minister's found himself in. Yeah, let's just get a sense of just how significant this is. This is an allegation about a rape in the nation's parliament in a ministerial office, the defence minister's office. I mean, this is incredibly serious stuff. And and, it, and now it implicates sort of people at the highest levels of government in terms of how they manage this situation, what sort of support they provided to this woman at, at a time where she was uh, desperately in need and had been uh, allegedly violated in such a way, which I think is um, so painful for many people probably listening to this podcast. It's a very triggering thing to hear about this because there are so many women who have similar experiences. But the reason this matters so much is that the structures around this woman failed her comprehensively. And I just think it's really important to just get a sense of how significant it is that she's decided to go on the public record. That is not an easy decision. That is a huge decision for any woman. The ramifications of that, uh, you know, socially, politically, for her own mental health are extreme, but it just demonstrates how much she feels failed by the system, clearly by her alleged perpetrator. And, you know, she's now said she wants to go and pursue this again Mm -hmm. with the Australian Federal Police. She did have an interview with them, but then said she parked this, basically didn't pursue it because she felt a sense before the election, uh, that's when the timing happened, that she would jeopardise her political party. She felt this sense of pressure or a sense of that she would let the team down. And I just think that is unspeakably sad that she felt this way. Now, I just want to also mention that, of course, this is Sadly, I mean, I wish it was only talked about the way it should be, which is that it's a serious uh, alleged crime and that's the way it should be discussed. But of course, it's become a very much in the political debate and that's the way it works because it's it's happening in Parliament House, right? That's the discussion. I think what Labor Senate leader Penny Wong said this week was really, really significant. She basically is calling out the government saying they've been dealing with this as a political problem and not... Uh, for what it is, which is a very serious crime. I'd say just this simple thing to Scott Morrison. Stop dealing with this as a political problem and start doing the right thing. 
And that's the issue, isn't it? As you said, doing the right thing. I mean, this has become a workplace problem because of the fact that this young woman has spoken out and said she did not feel supported. At the heart of this is timing. It was two months before an election that immediately we can all imagine the political dynamic around this in a ministerial office. But also, PK, I mean, think of it this way. If two of the most senior women in the land, we're talking two female cabinet ministers, have let down a young woman at a time of such a serious allegation, and we now know they did because she felt said she felt let down, as you've suggested there. I mean, really, what hope is there? The point is, it's very hard to when someone makes an allegation uh, of this serious crime of rape. It's very hard to make someone feel safe if they have been raped, but there is a duty of care. You need to go out of your way to do it. Brittany Higgins clearly feels that that did not happen. In fact, she felt the opposite, that uh, rather than going out of the way to support her, that in the days and the weeks and the years since this happened, she felt the message was, your job is on the line here. And she said this is her dream job. She was new into the job. There was an election looming. The stakes were high. As Sharman Stone told me on breakfast this week, she's a very experienced former politician. It's a win or lose culture at Parliament House. You know, this story landed in the lap of these ministers right on the brink of an election and as Penny Wong has suggested there that the response from the ministers then and the Prime Minister now was all wrong. It appears from what Brittany Higgins has described the response was a political one, not a human one. Uh, Political and not human, that's right. Look, the alleged perpetrator was sacked for the security breach of being in the minister's office, drunk and with another staffer after hours. Now, defence... We, sh- we should be clear about that. That happened before Brittany Higgins had told anyone of the rape. So in the days afterwards, it was dealt with as a security breach. And the person, who we now know as the alleged perpetrator of the crime, was sacked. And then, as as the timeline um, has now been, you know, exposed and explained by Brittany Higgins, a, f- a few days later she sat down with the Chief of Staff, uh, Fiona Brown, and had a meeting with Linda Reynolds herself, uh, you know, she was, and which has been much talked about. She had that meeting where the alleged crime happened, which of course is, well, I don't think I have to explain to anyone listening to this podcast, is obviously a, a terrible thing to, to happen to any um, person who has suffered this alleged criminal act, I just, I just think it's just so awful. When I heard that detail, I was um, pretty upset, as I suppose many people must have been. But the way that then the government manages this becomes the bigger story. And I think this is still a really big problem for them, Fran. I don't think this is going anywhere. We're recording this on a Thursday morning. I think the fact that uh, Brittany has put out a statement, which she did uh, on Wednesday afternoon, saying that she thinks that the Prime Minister is uh, victim-blaming, that she also believes that, that the government has more questions to answer... I think that really causes the government some significant headaches as well because here is the victim saying that she still feels they don't Mm. get it and they're not taking it seriously. This is after the Prime Minister has apologised. This is after the Defence Minister has apologised. Brittany still believes they've got this wrong. 
So let's talk about that because there have been a lot of apologies this week and a lot of promises of cultural reform, a lot of inquiries apparently going to be called. So that's all well and good. And we'll be talking about that a little later with, with Laura. But victim blaming, what did she mean? What was she referring to? Was she referring to the fact that the Prime Minister keeps making the point, as have the ministers, that at the time, you know, they suggested uh, she should go to the police and make this complaint and she didn't want to. So therefore, they were operating under the, um, you know, belief that the victim of a crime like this should be able to choose her next step. She should be able to choose whether she wants privacy and, and secrecy and confidentiality if she wants to go to the police. They offered it um, and, and therefore that's what they should do. I think it's this that, um, and, and the Prime Minister's constant refrain about, you know, she at all times was granted agency. Her agency was the priority for those who were dealing with her. Um, somehow puts it back on her that her choice at that time was the choice she made and, and so be it. I, I, I imagine that's what she means when she's talking about victim blaming. But we also now know that there's something else going on, something really unsavoury on background, is that the last 24 hours or so before we recorded this podcast that we now know that staff from the Prime Minister's office were backgrounding some journalists about the fact that um, Brittany Higgins' boyfriend was, you know, had a hand in in prompting her to, to come out with his allegations somehow or other because he was a public servant who'd, who'd lost his job or had a grudge to bear against the government. You know, this sort of backgrounding is going on. So at the same time, the Prime Minister is publicly apologising for the treatment she had and, and the, the pressure she felt under, publicly um, saying that that a victim should be believed at all times, we're getting this sort of political, underhanded sort of whispering campaign going on that is really only meant to do one thing, which is to somehow take the gloss off the account from the victim. I mean, this is appalling behaviour and it just goes to underline what we were saying before, that this has been treated as a political issue to be managed rather than a crime and a human shame to be dealt with and a human being to be supported. And I suppose it really has raised some broader issues too about the parliament, the culture in the parliament, uh, uh, you know, the Four Corners story. Uh, that Louise Milligan did try to expose some of that cultural problem as well. And Prue Goward, former sex discrimination commissioner who I spoke to this week, made that point that it's sort of a culture that's 10 years behind the sort of corporate world. This is unacceptable behaviour, this kind of uh, culture which allows this. Now, I've worked Uh, in Parliament, so have you. I think it's a toxically masculine environment. I think it is an environment which is really insane instinctively hostile to women. That's why I think she's so brave to be able to raise such an such a thing. Which and she couldn't do until she'd left the parliament, let's be honest here, until she'd left the building she could, and it was out of that culture, she couldn't do it. And that's completely understandable. And, and I think we can discuss this a bit more with Laura, who's also been in that building for a long time. And let's look at the what, what has to be achieved by these uh, inquiries that are going on. But PK, you know, it, it, this story has morphed this week and it's going back to this, away from being an issue about so much, um, you know, the crime that was committed and the impact on the individual, but really about, you know, what did the Prime Minister know? Is there a cover-up? Labor's using terms like cover-up. And when you've got a unity ticket of Malcolm Turnbull and Peter Credlin saying that 
the Prime Minister and the Prime Minister's office should have known, and there's no way, frankly, his office wouldn't have known, well, that really tells you something, doesn't it? Oh, and that's and watch this space. We're recording this Thursday morning, but that's going to become an increasing problem. Look, I just wanted to just uh, on another angle of this. There's so many, so many issues that have come up. But the the prime minister's own language, I think, has been really problematic this week. I reckon uh, there was a standout comment this week that did split people. I know the prime minister said this about his wife Jenny on Tuesday. Jenny and I spoke last night. And she said to me, you have to think about this as a father first. What would you want to happen if it were our girls? Jenny has a way of clarifying things, always has. So his comments have, as we say, like split opinions. Some people are happy he's taking action. Others are asking why it took his wife's words of encouragement to convince him uh, that that this was a sort of serious enough issue to apologise for and to take seriously. And I do think that that... I think that matters. I think language from the the sort of most significant political figure in our country, the prime minister of the land, really matters on these issues. And I think I understand how he uses, and I do think he uses Jenny as a device to soften him, to show that he understands women, that he listens to his wife on women's issues. He's a issues. father, he's a family right? man. It's a device. I, uh, call it for what it is. He uses it to feminise himself, to, to show that he understands women. But this is an alleged crime of the most serious kind. You do not need your wife or your daughter to explain that rape Alleged rape is bad, is wrong, is immoral, is illegal, right? So I I thought the tone was wrong. Uh, I don't know. I don't have to sit down with my wife to understand that rape is wrong. It is wrong and there have to be consequences for it. There have to be. And clearly this woman now wants to pursue this. You cannot, you cannot see it in any other way. No, that's right. And of course, you know, if, if you have a partner and you've got a great relationship, you do. You do discuss things with your partner. You do change your views on things or sharpen your views or clarify to use the Prime Minister's mind uh, on some issues. Um, but the point is, rape is a crime. There is only one way to respond to it, and that is not in a political paradigm, but in a human paradigm and the paradigm of criminality. And the Prime Minister certainly to everyone who watched on the first day, saw as, use the term Brittany Higgins used, a bit of a, a, a box-ticking exercise. It wasn't until the next day where there was a, an, an emotional response and we got started talking about inquiries and follow-through. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people upset by the Prime Minister saying that he is the leader of this country. He doesn't need his wife. He shouldn't need his wife to tell him, uh, tell him the difference between right and wrong and how to respond as the leader emphatically at a time like this. I think at this point, it's a perfect time to bring in someone who spent many, many years in Parliament House, longer than both of us, PK, Laura Tingle. <laughs> Laura Tingle, 730's Chief Political Correspondent. Welcome to the party room. Well, hello. I've got my cocktail in hand. 
<laughs> and that frock, divine, darling. Um, Laura, <laughs> we've just been talking about the Prime Minister's comments where he invoked the wisdom of his wife, Jenny, and the clarifying impact that had on him. Now, I've talked to a few people. Opinions are a bit split on this. How did you respond when you heard those comments from the Prime Minister? There are three things, I suppose. Uh, the first one was I thought it was just a terrible admission uh, that you had to say, oh, my wife had to tell me that this was a serious issue. Um, and I, I, th I think that was a really shocking thing. I think there seemed to be a, a certain cynicism attached to it, which I think a lot of people have reacted to, the sort of idea that you drag your wife and kids into this horrible story. But on the other hand, a lot of people have said to me, look, people uh, do understand that idea of, you know, it, uh, it could have been my wife or my daughter that this happened to. So if you're not paying all that much attention, you'd go, oh, well, yeah, that's reasonable. I thought it was rather unwittingly telling about the Prime Minister that he said that, uh, and, uh, and I, th I thought it was a really bad misjudgment. And it was clearly done because he'd got it wrong uh, mm. in tone the previous day, as had the whole government. They'd basically said, oh, well, yes, you know, it's all just all very terrible and we'll move right along. So yeah, he was so they had to, to reset a, somehow. He was having to do a reset. And the fact that he stuffed it up on the first day, was resetting on the second day, meant that we didn't move to the inevitable position we moved on the third day, which was, well, it's now the subject of a police inquiry, brackets, well, not necessarily, close brackets. Uh, and so it dragged it on for another day uh, and more revelation. So it was basically, you know, in, in, in that sort of... Uh, detached political sense, it was a, a bit of a disaster. And oh, it's a big disaster. Yeah, I mm. think so too. The management has been very poor. And Brittany has put out this statement, which Fran and I talked about, which of course makes it even more difficult for the Prime Minister, you know, accusing him of victim blaming. And mm. now the, the really two senior ministers being implicated in in this, including his office. Where does this go? I mean, I, I know you can't predict every story that will break over the next week, but I suspect... She's pretty good at it. Yeah, I know. I suspect more will <laughs> break, though, and, and there will be more details that emerge. This is a big political problem, too, for the government, isn't it, in terms of the way they, they managed this uh, and mm. didn't get it? It is. Uh, look, I'm not sure where it goes. The sort of luck of politics, if you like, in a way is that uh, Facebook has sort of erupted and everybody's sort of moved on to that. Um, and you you two know what, what it's like. You know, there's only so much airspace in a, in a day and everybody's now sort of running around, you know, chasing Facebook stories. Mm. But Without a doubt, there are all these questions that are left unanswered about uh, about this. Um, huge holes in the story about what exactly happened, uh, you know, on the night and subsequently. And the government just didn't have its act together. And to me, the stunning thing about this is that it's not as if this has come out of the blue. Uh, I mean, I you, you look back at that whole attack on the ABC and Four Corners about the program that they did mm. last year. Um, and now that the program was subject to a lot of debate and there was controversy about what was there. It was a program that was constrained uh, very tightly by legal questions about what they could run. Uh, but they spent two weeks preparing a strike on the managing director of the ABC, David Anderson, for estimates before the program went to air to discredit it. And I can't believe that nobody rang around at that point and said, now, look, you know, this is obviously an issue that's not going away for us. You know, what do we know? What are, what are our vulnerabilities? What are the complaints yeah. that have been made? 
there's at least three advisers in the Prime Minister's office with knowledge of this, one of whom was at the centre of Brittany first telling somebody about it, who was at the centre of sacking another staffer, and nobody talked about it? I mean, either they didn't talk about it and they should all be uh, sacked for being politically incompetent, or they did talk about it and a lot of people are telling porkies. Yeah, well, as I mentioned earlier, when you've got a unity ticket of Malcolm Turnbull and Peter Credlin saying it basically defies belief that the mm. Prime Minister's office wasn't talking about this and the Prime Minister himself wasn't told, that's saying something. So, look, political mismanagement and then you talk about why. What does that say? What does that say about politics trumping, um, you know, cultural norms every time mm. and yeah. and in this case you know a, a human response to a shocking shocking crime against women um, yeah. and it goes takes us again to the culture of this place the prime yeah. minister has now said he will call and he's put the finance minister Simon Birmingham in charge of organizing this an arm's length inquiry but do we know yet what he means by that and will this be an in the inquiry that's needed finally as you know to look into well, a the cultural issues within this place the way the power structures are established and the fact mm. that there's no independent and um a confidential complaints mechanism for staff yeah well uh, th this is the bit that's a bit unclear you know I, there's there's a question of a review there's a, but there's also the question of this you know, separate entity, which are the, the three women crossbenchers, uh, Helen Haynes, Ali Stegall mm. and Rebecca Sharkey have pushed for. And it's not clear from that uh, letter that he sent to Anthony Albanese yesterday whether he's committed to that body or not um, uh, from a quick reading of it yesterday. That's really the question. I mean, it's sort of so sick that this whole thing has been seen as a political problem. I mean, we've been, just been doing yeah. that now, of course, uh, but that's because... That's the way the government has treated this. You know, they've they've been sort of protesting that they're trying to protect um, Brittany's privacy. You know, they've been backgrounding about her and her partner and yep. showing people texts and mm. things. So uh, the the crucial question isn't a review. The crucial question is setting up a body, which I think is they're quite right to say doesn't just cover politicians and their staff, but it covers you know journalists, everybody in this building who might feel that they've been somehow compromised in these sorts of ways and yeah. uh, and feels uh, vulnerable. Mm. And, and I'm going to make uh, a suggestion here, which is that, um, and I can't believe that we don't have this already, um, you know, some sort of um, prominent woman equipped to run an inquiry like this, and there's been some names. I'm going to suggest mm. that the government consider Sharman Stone. She's a long-serving former Liberal MP. She was very, very strong when I spoke to her on breakfast. She talked about, you know, the hu hugely gendered place that it is, mm. uh, the hegemony essentially of male power, um, the mm. minister's offices, the little islands amongst themselves who can fire and start, hire and fire staff at random. Mm. She was very clear. She's very knowledgeable and uh, I think she'd be a pretty good person to run this inquiry myself. Mm. Yeah. Well, excuse my cynicism about inquiries. I want yeah. I want the standing body. I want to just go straight to the standing body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, actually, uh, there, Laura. Yeah, it's just like, do it. Like, yeah. you know, just do it. Like, Well, I mean, I, I, when I was looking back through all the clips and things from last year, I mean, you know, there's so much going on these days. And uh, there was a story about the two... Uh, female staffers uh, yeah. who were complaining about assaults uh, in the middle of, um, I think it was, was the middle of last year, the middle mm, of not long 2019. Ago. And at that stage, there were three reviews going on into the Liberal Party's 
culture. Yes. Whatever happened to those? Yes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Can you? I, no. I don't that's think we've ever heard anything be, more about that's those. That's why it's got to be independent. And that speaks volumes, that yeah. those women were making those allegations yeah. and that nothing more serious has transpired already. Exactly. Right? Yeah. exactly. That it took this very violent act to to take it to that level and to see this kind of response and still I think it's not good enough. So I, I just think that demonstrates that it actually demonstrates the misogyny of the parliament, that there's still a disconnect here. But it's, it's not just the misogyny, it's the fact that Brittany Higgins basically felt that she couldn't say anything until she had resigned now um, because it would be swept under the carpet. And I think you'd have to say that she would be right. Um, why would she think, given her experience of what happened, that anybody would actually act on this stuff? Um, okay, the, the guy lost his job, uh, but apparently that's because of a security breach, whatever yeah, that, nothing to do whatever with that means. Yeah, uh, yeah but well, well, everything to do with this. I mean, yeah. do you really believe it was a security breach? Sorry. I mean, what's what's a security breach? They haven't explained that. So, anyway. Laura, you mentioned right at the start, and you're right, there's another huge story that may overwhelm um, this issue that's been dominating Parliament this week. It's probably one of the biggest news stories in the world right now. (laughs) That's the story of the response from Facebook and Google to the Australian government's news media code. The Facebook response, they're obviously calling the government's bluff. The, The Treasurer's let us all know he's been on the phone to Mark Zuckerberg already about it. Oh, what's the next play here? I think this is really fascinating because until now it's been Google and Facebook, uh, you know, big bad baddies. Mm. Um, Google, of course, is now making these content deals with the news outlets, which leaves Facebook being the baddie. And Facebook, of course, is the uh, now seen as the home of fake news. So this this is moving really quickly politically. Um, I mean, Labor, which backed the media code in the parliament, uh, yesterday, last night, is uh, today out there saying, well, this is the government's fault. Now, um, I, I don't know whether it's the government's fault or not, but the problem for the government is that they are now uh, open to the uh, accusation that uh, what they've done is allowing fake news uh, while keeping people out of legitimate news. Now, older listeners, as they say, uh, might might say, as some people on uh, Twitter have been saying today, well, people can just go to you know, the ABC News website or whatever. They don't have to do it on Facebook. But um, I think we all know people of a certain generation, you know, brackets, possibly one's daughter, who basically sees their news feed through Facebook. So suddenly there's a whole section of the world which will only be seeing other stuff, as they say, you know, somebody yeah. selling their skis and some cr- and crazy news. And <laughs> at that the time becomes of a, a bit of... At the time of a mm. vaccine rollout, which is really yeah, and, handy. And, Apparently and, there was and, a 30% drop to the ABC's um, site um, through its through its social media feeds on well, as a result of Facebook and, doing this and, immediately. And the, politic, and the politically bad bit about this for both Facebook but also for the government, since, you know, they're supposed to be running things, is that the Bureau of Meteorology's Facebook yes. page has gone down, emergency services have gone down, women's crisis centres pages have gone down. It's a real uh, and, and back to back to that issue around um, yeah. health, you know, uh, you know, and health. the yeah. Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. Like, yeah. the, the list is really worrying. But and, that will yeah, blow absolutely. back on Facebook, won't it? I mean, the government thinks the public are not with Facebook on this. So, you know, that that's one equation uh, they're well, looking that, at. Well, that is, but, um, but, but they... People still expect the government to fix things. Yeah. And um, so it's, uh, you know, yes, it will blow back on Facebook, but it could blow back on the government too. So they're not going to get huge 
Brownie points on the other side for the fact that uh, Google's done a deal with the major media companies because, you know, nobody cares about them. But the question is whether people sort of go, well, you know, why is Facebook doing this? And um, it could be it could be tricky for them, I think. So beyond this, though, the government is claiming basically global victory, Laura, because of the existence of the legislation that's going through the Australian Parliament at the moment. It's a world first and the world, mm. governments around the world are watching. Um, Google has come to the table with mm. media companies, yeah. is starting to pay some money for the journalism that they get so much revenue from, essentially. Yeah. Is it going to turn the tables, I suppose, for the media companies that have lost so much revenue, it's affected mm. the amount of money being spent on journalism, or are mm. these figures really that we're talking about a, a drop in the ocean? Uh, well, look, I would not claim expertise in this, Fran, but certainly the trend is uh, is the friend on this, I think. Uh, you know, As I said, I don't think the government will necessarily get any political mileage out of it, but I think it has been uh, you know, a, a good... Uh, it's been, as they say, a very brave decision minister uh, to do it. Everybody's watching it. And the fact that Google has come to the table uh, is is a really good sign. Now, it is a constrained uh, model, but uh, clearly the uh, media companies think that it's a sufficient start and uh, and ho- hopefully it'll just sort of mean that the there's been a flaw put under the sort of activity where we, where you don't see anybody pay for, uh, you know, journalism. Um, so yeah, it's got to be a good thing. Yeah, and yeah, look, I mean, yeah, sorry, and the, the, the whole world's watching too. This whole yeah. change yeah. has, I've never, you know, this morning I was alerted to the story, uh, recording this Thursday morning, but actually by US journalists, like they are, everyone is watching mm. this because mm. it is an actually quite a significant move the country's taken yeah. on this. Yeah. And so everyone is watching very closely. But yeah, the, the, we're going to get the blowback in, in the in the interim. And I, just, yeah, I don't but, think but it's but easy also, for the government. I, they, they say they're going to stare it down, but I think this is going to be, become a harder issue for them to keep staring down. It's hard to stare down these giants, but at the same time, the, you know, the, we do understand just yesterday, the the day before we recorded this, the Treasurer is saying everything's pointing in the right direction and he referred to the fact that Facebook was talking to, uh, looking to enter commercial arrangements too. So perhaps there is another play going on here that will become public in the next day or two and is this just Facebook trying to screw something else, some other kind of um, amendment to this code before it goes through the Parliament, which we think will happen next week? Well, could could well be, but I think the fact that they've hit a lot of these essential services, you know, is is diabolically bad public relations for them. Diabolically bad public relations. Well, you're not diabolically bad public relations, Laura Tingle. <laughs> you're nothing but good PR for me. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. I'll go and finish my cocktail. See you. Thanks, Laura. See you. And Fran, it's our first question time of 2021. I can hear the bells. Questions without notice. The Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, and and I'm pleased the question time at least is happening, Mr Speaker. And our first question comes from Rosemary. Hey, Fran and PK. I hate to go back over old ground, but the party room wrap at the end of 2019 included a firm prediction of Angus Taylor not being Energy Minister in the Morrison Cabinet. Well, it's 2021 and he's still there. Given that a lot of federal political conflicts and problems are ranged about energy issues, how is Mr Taylor holding on? Charm? Factions? Knowing where the bodies are buried? Now, I'm not picking on Taylor, honestly, but what are the background machinations as to who gets sacked for stuffing up and who doesn't in a Liberal government? 
Oh, that's actually mm. quite a good question. All right, so firm prediction, well, which was wrong. Okay, we own it. It was wrong, but it was wrong on two counts. For a start, political leaders hate giving up scalps. They hate it because it's seen as a win for the other side. And uh, as we referred earlier, Sharman Stone, you know, talked about the win-lose culture in Parliament House. So you win at all costs. If the other side's saying you've got to sack him, they don't want to do it. They don't want to lose a scalp. Um, also, I think in this case, the Prime Minister wanted to make, uh, give the appearance of this not of the reshuffle he did make not being a panicky reshuffle. It was a relatively contained reshuffle. And um, therefore, I think that's part of the reason that um, Angus Taylor still has that job. Yeah. And I think you can't discount 2020 either. Like what's 2020, friends? Pandemic. I think it became a bit of an issue where uh, climate change and, and energy and emissions actually did go down in terms of being a strong order issue. So the heat, boom, boom, hasn't really been on Taylor in the same way in the last period of time. It just hasn't. Now, that'll escalate now, obviously, with Joe Biden uh, as President of the United States, pressure on Australia to get to net zero emissions by 2050. It's all going to be on again, especially yeah. as the vaccine gets rolled out. But I do think the dynamic of 2020 really shifted and it that that was that central debate around climate and emissions just really went down in terms of the order of things. So the pressure was off, really, I suppose, in, in that way. But also Angus Taylor is in the middle of some big work at the moment that the Prime Minister is counting on, which is trying to work out that roadmap and the technological pathway that they keep talking about to, you know, net zero emissions or some kind of emissions reduction anyway. So also perhaps the Prime Minister just thought, let's leave him there doing the work because someone else trying to catch up. That's a hard thing. Yeah, it certainly is. Well, remember to keep your questions coming. We were getting lots of them this week, so thank you very much. We love getting them. You can tweet us using the hashtag The Party Room. You can email your questions to thepartyroom at abc.net.au. And it has been wonderful seeing your messages come through. It sure has. That's it for us this week from The Party Room. We'll be back in your feeds next week. See you, PK. See you, Fran. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.